Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Last Word on Sense podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger, and today we have uh, Derek Lee making his return to the podcast. Uh, it's a really great episode. I think everyone will enjoy it. Uh, massive news compared to the past couple of weeks. Uh, Drake Batherson signing, Pierre Dorian signing, and even Gustafson signing, which would have been the biggest news, I think, of the past month or so, really, in, in, for the Sens fans. But uh, we have two massive news pieces to go over as well. So we, we talk about all of that and a uh, really great discussion. I, I think everyone will enjoy it. Um, and as we head into the season here, uh, you know, uh, training camp's right around the corner and the season's about a month away. So it's super exciting. There's going to be lots of content to talk about. Uh, I'm going to try and have guests on, um, you know, as I have been throughout the last year. Um, and I, I'm going to continue that. And I think I might try and uh, expand to some other teams as well. Uh, I'm definitely going to be doing one Ottawa uh base guess every other week, but I think, you know, every, every other week, maybe every third week, I'm going to try and branch out to, to uh, get a guess that, you know, maybe a, a team that Otto was playing a couple times over that week so we can discuss uh, other teams as well. So if that's something you want to hear, let me know. Uh, if there's anyone you have in mind, let me know. Or if you want more just uh, strictly sends content, you know, just I, I'm always open to feedback and I love to hear it. So um, as always, you can find me on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff and the podcast on Twitter at last word on sends. I think the podcast account just got over 500 followers. I think we're up to like 510 already now too, which is just absolutely amazing. So um, thank you everyone so much for the support. I think I speak for everyone when, you know, excited to get the season going here, but uh, yeah, enjoy today's episode and I'll talk to you all next week. Making his return to the podcast. He is a co-host of the future sickos podcast is the one and only Derek Lee. Derek, thank you so much for joining me. How's it going, man? Alex, thanks for having me again, man. Um, it's it's a pleasure to join you, and I'm doing quite well. How about yourself? Oh, pretty good. You know, it's been a, a busy week to, for a change in the Sens world here. We have a couple really big topics to discuss, which, uh, you know, as we get into the first week of September, I guess isn't shocking. But, um, you know, it, it's exciting that, uh, that hockey's right around the corner, and we have some news to actually uh, talk about for once. Yeah, I know. I mean, uh, you know, we were discussing this before the show, but it's been a summer basically full of speculation. And now we finally have some actual contracts, um, you know, one player and one general manager. But uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's great to dive into some actual news. Yeah, I just say maybe if I if I said that the, there'd be two contracts to discuss, it wouldn't exactly be the one people were hoping for, um, but one of them definitely is, and the the other one's interesting and it's going to give us lots to talk about as well. But uh, let's get the player out of the way first here. Um, you know, actually, I guess there's a couple too because I don't think I discussed Philip Gustafson on my last one either. So we got a handful here, but let's start with the big one. Drake Batherson signs his contract six years, uh, 4.975 cap hit. It was pretty close to the Joel Farabee contract that got signed a couple days prior, which um, Farabee is two years younger, but has about the exact same points per game. And it was a very similar contract. Uh, give me your thoughts on this contract. What was when it came out and, you know, has it changed at all since hey, we've gotten a couple days to let it settle in here? Uh, no, I think, you know, the value on that contract will probably pay dividends down the road. Um, and, and perhaps even right away. I mean, Batherson's a player that I think broke out last season as a, a guy who can legitimately score close to 30 goals a season. And I think, you know, those players are pretty hard to find, let alone a player who's uh, only 23 years of age. Um, it, it's kind of found money for the Senators. I mean, Batherson was a, obviously a later round pick. So um, getting some found money there is, is huge. Um, and the contract, I mean, to me, it, it's pretty team friendly. I was honestly, I was expecting something north of 5 million. So, uh, I know the four, nine, five looks under five mil. It's basically five mil AAV, but, uh, but yeah, it makes the price tag look a little bit, uh, slimmer than it is. And, uh, Batherson, he just seems like a really humble sort of, uh, genuine good person too. And I think, you know, not enough gets said about that, that character that's in the room. And I think Batherson's one of those guys, I think, you know, not only is he a really, really super talented player, uh, but he's a player that uh, in the dressing room just seems like a really likable person. And I know, uh, you know, that's from our perception. We're obviously not in that room, but I think, you know, uh, in many ways, it, it's a really, really good contract, in my opinion, um, under what I thought he would get. Uh, the term is perfect. I mean, six year term is kind of what I wanted to see for Batherson that will bring him to about 30 years old. So uh, pretty well right where you wanted it uh, in terms of uh, the term of the contract. The AAV is right on as well. Um, just just a really team-friendly deal, in my opinion, and 
sometimes those things can have a ripple effect, Alex. I think, um, you know, on the contrary, you look at the Toronto Maple Leafs and, you know, that's an example that a lot of people use, but, uh, but a prime example in that, you know, with a, a really high salary guy like Tavares that they brought in, it sort of impacted the rest of those contracts in a really negative sort of way in which they had to sort of overpay for their players. And uh, this sort of sets the table up a little bit for contracts moving forward in that, you know, you have to be better than Drake Batherson to earn more than $4.95 million. And that's a, that's a pretty good precedent to send, uh, to send a message to the rest of the team, in my opinion, for uh, Pierre Dorian. So tidy bit of work in my opinion. How about yourself? Yeah, I mean, I, I love it. I think um, that, that last part is a super interesting part to see how it'll affect things because, um, yeah, as you said, like, I think generally speaking, the lease contracts are funny to look at. Maybe a little bit gets made uh, out of it. But yeah, like if uh, Alex Formanton comes up in a couple of years, if he's not obviously better than Drake Batherson, he doesn't have much of an argument to be signing for, you know, much more than whatever the cap inflated, obviously, at that time is of $5 million. And I, I think that is big that it is. Um, it is crucial to get a guy under contract who's, you know, maybe not one of the first two or three people you consider when you think of this core, but one of those outside people are still going to be absolutely vital to, you know, his growth is going to be vital to this team's success. And, um, you know, I, I think some people, maybe from an outside perspective, obviously, if they haven't watched the Senators quite as closely as, you know, people listening to this podcast or you and I, um, they would say, oh, that's a lot of money for a guy who has 53 points in 99 games. But um, the, the growth from Batherson we've seen over the past you know, year by year has just been um, nothing there shows me that he's not going to be worth $5 million. I would argue that even if he just repeats what he did last season, where he had 34 points in 56 games and had pretty solid possession uh, numbers on a bad team, that alone is worth $5 million. So, you know, even if he doesn't take another step up, I, I think this is perfect value. And, but yeah, I think this is a really safe bet given everything we've seen from Batherson, um, you know, in his career uh, that this is going to be, um, anywhere from good value to an absolute steal in a couple of years. And, uh, you know, when, when you sign a contract like that, it's really hard to uh, disappoint. And, you know, the other big thing is it's not like it's just the NHL, a couple of games in the NHL, we have to go off. This is a guy who absolutely tore up the, uh, uh, AHL for parts of two years as well. 62 points in 59 games, 54 and 44. Absolute shame he didn't get to go on a playoff run during when COVID interrupted it there. But same thing within in the WHL, you know, or the QMJHL, sorry, not the W. Um, you know, obviously, yeah, he, he slid to the fourth round and then he made Canada's U20 team in his draft year, put up seven goals in seven games in that tournament. Um, and, you know, had uh, 30 38 in 27 when he was traded and 39 and 24 with Cape Breton. So this is a guy who just for the past five years, no matter where he's played has had success. And I really don't see that changing in the NHL. I think this is, you know, his development this year is going to be key, but at the very worst, they have a good second line winger here. Absolutely. He's, he's a player that, like you mentioned, I mean, the history is there. It's not just based on this last season and, and the production that he had last season. Um, but he's a player who's he's clearly put the the work in the offseason. Um, I remember going back to, you know, even last season when he was struggling there for a little bit or even, you know, the team perceived him as struggling because to be quite honest, I, I seen him as a player that was still creating opportunities for his teammates, even though there was a stretch there um, near the beginning of the season when he wasn't producing um, as well. And I remember Gary coming on and saying that, you know, he was sort of on the verge of being a healthy scratch. And then he went on that absolute tear. I think he scored like in six or seven straight games um, and, and absolutely lit it up. And, you know, that was the, the turning point for me in Batherson's season. It was like, that's the coming out party that he needed. Uh, and just probably just that feeling of I can score at that level. I can still be an effective uh, goal scorer at this level. Um, to me, that probably solidified it at, at least in his mind and in the team's mind. And I think, the one thing I, I hear often, um, you know, people worrying about um, or I've heard in the last couple of days is is the comparable to Colin White in that contract. And I think it's not really a valid reasoning. If you go back to Colin White's uh, first season, he was playing with Mark Stone and Brady Kachuk, you know, primarily during that season. And that's why he had the production numbers that he did have immediately. So I think also the Senators were in a really vulnerable spot where they had to pay um, a couple of players just to sort of send a message to the fan base that, you know, they're going to be sort of delivering contracts to their new core, whoever that ends up being. And, 
Um, you know, it, it didn't really work out well for Colin White, not to crap on Colin White, because I think, you know, there's definitely some underlying numbers that make him look like a pretty solid third line player. Um, but, you know, the contract, it, it, it doesn't really speak to uh, to making, you know, close to five million dollars. So. Um, so, yeah, just to, to sort of crap on uh, the idea of comparing Colin White to uh, Drake Batherson's contract, I don't see it. I think Batherson's going to be uh, a top six right winger. Absolutely. Yeah, and I would say, you know, a couple things with the comparison to Colin White there, too, is Batherson, you know, over the past three or four years before he got paid here has had a history of producing where, um, you know, I love Colin White, but he had a 33-point and 35-game season at Boston College. Um, you know, and then went straight to Ottawa and, uh, you know, even in his AHL year, he played in 2017, 18 with uh, Belleville, he played 47 AHL games, put up 27 points. And uh, again, it's not like that's horrible by any means, but yeah, like it's not something that absolutely screams. This guy's going to be a point producer at the NHL level where, you know, again, Drake Batherson, he was, you know, driving being a massive part of that uh, Belleville success, driving his own line or helping drive his own line. Obviously there's a couple of young guys down there. Um, and, you know, yeah, so that, that's what gives me um, a lot less pause versus the white thing. And, um, you know, the one other thing I'd say too, is uh, when people say, well, look at Colin White's contract, it's, it's almost a, so be it. Um, you know, like, I think obviously it can't quite just be that, but if you're going to bet on guys for six years and it doesn't always work out, it's going to happen from time to time, you know, and I would much rather teams, uh, especially a team like Ottawa that, you know, is still coming out of this rebuilding phase and has some cap space to use. I'd much rather them bet those six years on a guy like Colin White who, or, you know, Drake Batherson are in their 21 to 23 years than go sign some guy in free agency for six years. You know, like how many contracts Louis Erickson, uh, Milan Lucic, like I, I, you go down the list, uh, Ocposo, like there's just so many guys that we've seen signed from 28 to 30 years old for six years in free agency. And by year two of the deal, it looks miserable. You know, yeah, at least we call him white. It's an overpayment. That's what it is. You know, we have to call spade a spade there, but he's still a useful third line player and there's value to be had. And right now it doesn't bite them in the ass. So um, yeah, no, I, I think when it comes to Batherson, I, that con that comparable, I'm not even worried about. I think Batherson's a different type of player. You know, he's seen, obviously, yeah, he, we've seen him survive without um, an absolute elite playmaker on his wing, like Mark Stone, who, I mean, Mark Stone, we've seen just how many guys has he propelled through the years. Zach Smith's 20 goal season is, a, I think, a prime example of that, right? But um, yeah, when it comes to his Batherson contract, I, I just think it's uh, a good mix for both sides. Because the other thing, too, is, uh, you know, obviously we said that there is another step we want to see Batherson take, but this is... 30 mil in the bank for him, which as a 23 year old, you know, um, that is, that's no, no small amount of money either. Right. So he gets some long-term security and it really gives Ottawa a window to go for it here because uh, Shabbat and Batherson are going to be up around the same time. And, you know, I, I think everyone's kind of hoping we see a Kachuk six to eight year extension, um, you know, so that would put him in the same time frame as well. So it'll be really interesting to see how they go about uh, uh, su supplementing this core, but this is a huge piece to get locked down. That's for sure. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, um, the, the other piece to the contract is the salary structure. And I think uh, a lot of salaries, I mean, recently, um, they're backloaded. And, you know, that was the one thing that for me caught my eye a little bit. I looked at the salary structure. He's only making two and a half million this season. So it really is a, a you know, heavy backloaded deal. And I think a lot of the recent contracts are backloaded. But uh, of course, uh, you know, a lot of that has to do with the pandemic. So um, it, it's not quite time to hit the panic button and, you know, suggest that the money isn't there. Um, but, but, you know, bringing up the other contract that you're mentioning in Brady Kachuk, it, it does make you wonder, you know, if what's holding them back is perhaps like a signing bonus, you know, some significant signing bonus. Cause um, I don't think, you know, the player would have too many reservations if they actually offered him like an eight by eight contract. I think that would be a, a substantial amount of money for a player like Brady Kachuk and, uh, maybe enough to convince him that, you know, he wants to sign an, a full eight-year term as opposed to doing a bridge contract like his brother did. Um, but yeah, I mean, the one, uh, the one area that I'm just unsure about is if that, that money up front is available for a player like Brady Kachuk who might want that cash up front. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think it's probably the biggest reservation right now in terms of a long-term deal, especially, um, you know, one of the biggest surprises about Shabbat's deal was that there was no 
uh, signing bonus on it. But uh, again, like I, I think Shabbat, when he signed it, wasn't an $8 million player and kind of bet on himself a little bit. And I would argue he is an $8 million player now, whereas I think the same thing, honestly, can be said about Brady. And I know a lot of Sens fans probably won't want to hear that right now. But if we're talking about like today, at least from an on ice standpoint, it's so hard because you mentioned the character earlier. Brady is a guy who clearly just oozes character. And, and you know, that that's got to be accounted for in the room as well. And what he brings from a culture aspect, but just from an on ice standpoint today, he is not worth $8 million. I, I think he will get there. And I think he's close to getting there, like within a year or two. And, and I think an eight by like, I would have no issues with an eight by eight. But again, I think it's one of those things where if it was signed today, it's not that there's no, there wouldn't be no risk to it. So um, yeah, like I think that that is kind of the contract range. Now, granted, Brady might also see himself as a guy who, you know, when the cap starts rising, maybe he's worth nine or 10 if he he really can find that scoring boost, right? So I, I go back and forth. I definitely think, um, you know, until he proves otherwise, uh, money is always going to be a question with Melnick. I, like, and again, this contract's a great first step, but you need to pay someone. So I'm not that like, I'm not impressed, right? Like, it's great that it happened. It's better that it happened than didn't. But, you know, yeah, there's still a long way to go, in my opinion, with repairing the the faith that he has in a lot of fans, including myself and this fan base. And so, you know, until he shows that he will pony up, I'm never not going to doubt that it's an issue. But I think the other thing with Brady is that, yeah, there maybe is just a possibility that he wants a two to three year deal where, you know, if in two to three years, you know, maybe he's found the net a little bit more, you know, he's playing with some better teammates, the team's a little better and, and the salary caps are And that's when he wants the eight year deal where he can really cash in. Who knows? Again, I have no inside information on that, but um, you know, I, I think I, I've said it a couple of times this summer, I think the majority of the fan base would see it as a failure if he signed a two or three year deal. And I don't exactly look at it the same, you know, it depends what the other options were. Of course, if an eight by eight was available and Melnick was just too cheap, that would be a failure. But if that's just what he wants, that's what he wants. And I, like, I don't think it's the worst we've seen it work with players on bridge deals before, right? You just got to be able to willing to pay them a fair amount after. Yeah. And and in my mind, I think, you know, if we sort of get, really close to training camp and maybe even get into training camp a little bit. And this thing isn't signed. I think it's much more likely that we see Brady signed to a bridge contract. Um, in my mind, I think the team really, really wants a long-term contract. They've made that perfectly clear. I think in the media, um, that their preference would be to sort of make him the face of the franchise. Um, you know, unfortunately, and I say, unfortunately, because I, I think it was a mistake, but Melnick went public saying that, you know, you can't really have a captain on a bridge contract, uh, which is, it, it's just crap to me. I mean, I think, you know, Brady is the face of the franchise and it would almost be like a slap in the face to Thomas Shabbat. If you say, you go and say to Shabbat, oh, well, yeah, you're the, you're the captain now because Brady's on a, a bridge deal. So, you know, even though you were our second choice, congratulations, here's the C. I mean, the room probably feels Brady is the captain. Um, I think the fan base knows that Brady's the captain regardless. So when it comes to captaincy, um, that's sort of where, you know, my head is at. I think regardless of the contract, even though Melnick said what he said publicly, I think you still have to make him the captain of the team. And, um, and you can have a captain on a bridge contract. Keep in mind, I mean, you know, even if he's on a bridge, he's an RFA at the end of this contract anyway. So the team still has, you know, team control. Um, in terms of the AAV for Kachuk, I think um, it's an interesting one because a lot of it's about intangibles. Uh, and, and character, like we were mentioning, because if you're looking at just purely like you look at player A versus Brady Kachuk and player A is making eight million dollars, his production is probably going to be a lot more than even what Kachuk's projected project uh, uh, point pro uh, production ends up becoming. So I, I believe that it's more about the intangibles. He's such a, a different player. He's just cut from a different cloth. And I think you know, how many players can lead the league for most of the season in, in uh, hits and shots on goal? I mean, it, it's such a he's such a different player and, and the personality to go with it. He's exactly what this uh, franchise is trying to sell to the fan base. So I think, you know, that's what you're paying for. It's not as much as it is production because he will produce as much as it is production. It's more about the intangibles with Brady. It's a lot. It reminds me a lot of, and we obviously as Sens fans are really used to him over the years, but what Brendan Gallagher brings to the Habs and, uh, you know, a very, I think, underappreciated player league round where he drives play so well, you know, he hasn't always had like booming. He's not going to throw up 90 points or anything like that, but he'll give you 
30 goals, 30 assists or 25 and 40 or whatever to be a 60 point guy. And, and he's going to absolutely dominate play at five on five, which I think Brady's helping to do already. And yeah, he's a shit disturber who will piss other teams off and, you know, a great leader in the room from what it seems like. And I think that's kind of the ideal mark for a Brady Kachuk type as well. And yeah, the, the whole bridge captain thing, I, I think I touched on it last week when I had uh, Matt uh, Bosti on, but it's just like, it's just shit. If, if you're thinking is, we can't have a guy in a bridge because he might walk and we have to get a new captain anyways, you're beyond fucked because that means your thinking is we're going to lose this guy no matter what. And if that's the thinking you've already shot yourself in the foot and there's no point in it, like what's the point of this rebuild? If that's your thinking that you're not going to get this guy in three after three years anyways, like it's just, I don't even want to think about it because it's just miserable, but yeah, I don't know. I think sometimes too much gets made of the captaincy anyways, but the one thing I would say is, you know, if owners are reluctant to have a, a captain on a bridge deal, Jonathan Taves was the captain on a bridge deal and that worked out pretty fine. You know, they won uh, three Stanley cups on that bridge deal that he was on. So, and I'm sure there's countless other guys too, where you can look at where, um, you know, they had four to five year deals and they were still the captain of their team and they had great success, you know? So I, I wouldn't be too worried about that, but yeah, for, for Kachuk, it's, it's obviously going to be one of those things where I think the, um, the public narrative is going to be different than the Ottawa narrative because um, you know, a, a part of that is, public won't see exactly what Brady brings to the team. And another part of that is I think sense fans will probably overrate what he brings to the team a little bit, right? Like it, it's a common ground there and um, you know, how far one way or the other will it swing, who knows, but yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see where this contract goes. And uh, this, this thing I'm really curious about is if the Batherson extension being six years is going to affect uh, uh, Brady's willingness to sign long-term any more or less, or if it stays the same. Cause I, I believe there was a report from uh, Simmer out there a couple of weeks ago that said, you know, Brady was willing to sign long-term if Melnick shows that he'll financially, you know, put the team around it and buy into that. And, you know, I think I would have to think that a six year deal for Batherson is at least a helpful step. But again, like I mentioned before, I don't really think that this shows that Melnick has the wallet more than anything else. So, you know, maybe he thinks the same. I'll be really interested to see if it has any effect at all. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned Simmer because he's been, you know, stirring the pot. <laughs> uh, That's one way to, to put it lightly. Yes. Yeah. When it comes <laughs> to the Brady Kachuk contract, I think um, obviously he's, you know, he's set out to, to do whatever, whatever he's setting out to do. It, it's quite funny. It's comical to me, but um, he'll send out, yeah, tweets saying that the Senators haven't even tabled an, an actual offer to Brady Kachuk. And then, you know, you see the fan base kind of explode again. And um, it, it's it's funny stuff. I Honestly, it's going to get done. I mean, it's just a matter of time, uh, whether it's a bridge, whether it's a long-term deal. I think we don't have to love Brady Kachuk any less. Um, it, it certainly kind of benefits the player to bet on themselves, especially if it's a player like Brady Kachuk. Um, and his brother did the same thing. He's got his uncle representing him. Um, and there's some, some history there with, uh, with the representation and the senators too. So there's just a lot of variables I think to take into account. So, um, hopefully, yeah, it'll get done before training camp. That's my, my biggest hope because I want to see him get a full training camp in with the team. I think it's important. And I think the, the forward group is pretty thin going into the season. They really didn't add anything and they actually subtracted Dadnov. So um, as it sits right now, if that's genuinely how they go into the season, I think that's a little bit thin. Yeah. And there's even the report that, you know, they might be looking to ship Logan Brown out again too. And again, I think that was Simmer. So I, I, I seems like a nice enough guy. I, I'll take a, you know, with a grain of salt here and there as well, because there's been definitely some things where he's like, everyone is hitting this on as well, but yeah. It, when it last one last thing on the Kachuk thing is I'm not really worried about the contract, especially when they said, uh, you know, one of the one things I thought was odd that uh, they had mentioned when this Batherson got deal uh, deal was done is that they exchanged numbers just the other day with the agent and the deal got done in like four hours. I was like, it seems like like really late in the summer to just be exchanging numbers, even if you had other priorities, um, but the deal got done. So again, I'm not really worried. I just, when I read that, I was like, Oh, that seems a little bit strange. Um, but yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see what they do going into the season here because um, yeah, for all, all summer, it kind of felt like they were touting that they were going to get this top six C maybe a top six right wing that they moved down and off out and, nothing really materialized. And again, I, I spoke about this last uh, episode as well, but 
I'm not super disappointed if it, if nothing materialized because the market just wasn't there. I'd rather they do nothing than go and overpay for a guy who's 28 years old, right? But yeah, it's it's. I, I think it's definitely fairly seen as a disappointment considering there was all this hype and you know um, talk about how much they were going to upgrade this season and they just kind of stayed pat, which again, long-term, I don't know if it's that bad, but definitely going into the year, especially if Logan Brown isn't in their plans, that four group is, uh, it's looking real thin, like to the point where I almost wonder if they're betting on someone like Ridley Gregg to make the team out of camp, because if not, like it's going to be an interesting bottom six. No, absolutely. And I think you hit on a lot of good points there, but, uh, yeah, I thought it was interesting how we went like midsummer. We were, you know, banking on the fact that Ottawa was looking at a top top six center, whatever, you know, whatever their definition of top six center is. Like you said, it could be someone who's pushing 30 years old that probably was a top six center at some point. Um, and then it shifted to the wing. I mean, they shipped Dadnov off and there was a lot of question marks, you know, how are you going to replace Dadnov's production? I know he didn't have a, the most productive season, but you know, the, the underlying numbers, again, made it look like the uh, white uh, Paul and Dadnov line was actually the Senators' um, best line in a lot of ways last season. So, um, yeah, the, the Dadnov thing was interesting. It creates a hole in the right wing. You've got some young players that I'm not sure are really NHL-ready players like Sokolov, Yarventi. You mentioned, you know, perhaps Ridley Gregg makes the, the big jump, and I think he had a few, you know, maybe a handful of games in uh, Belleville last season. Um, and then you've got like Parker Kelly who could, you know, potentially slot in on the left wing there on the fourth line, but it, there's a lot of question marks in the bottom six. To me, there's a lot of question marks on the back end, um, and in net. So <laughs> there's, there's question marks pretty well everywhere going into the season. Last year, Ottawa really struggled at shot prevention at goal prevention. Um, I look at the, uh, the decor right now and, you know, with Brandstrom, most likely um, not included in that uh, in that decor because I, I really don't think he's going to be. Uh, I think he'll probably start the year in Belleville. You're probably looking at Michael Delzato as a top four defenseman. And, um, you know, that scares me alone, but you still got the Shabbat and Zaitsev thing. You know, there, there's just a lot of question marks for me on the back end, at least this season. It probably brightens up, you know, as early as next season with uh, players like Jacob Bernard Docker and Jake Sanderson, um, probably, you know, close to NHL ready the following season. But, uh, but this year, at least, uh, I'm not so sure that this is the roster that will take a step forward. Uh, what, what do you think about that, Alex? Yeah, no, I am definitely lower on them. I think than majority of the Sens fans might be heading into this year. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm still excited. There's obviously a lot of good players that I'll keep an eye on, but even in terms of want to talk about, uh, thin up front or, you know, in any position, like, I don't even think it's a, a write-in that Connor Brown is as good as he was last year. You know, he had, a, he had an amazing season. I mean, like an absolutely amazing season, but it was a career season at 27, 28 years old. Like maybe he repeats it. If he does, that's freaking awesome. But like, I don't think you can just pencil that in. Right. So yeah, I, I'm definitely, I don't think concerns the right word because I think one more year of just getting your young guys to grow isn't the worst thing in the world anyways. Um, you know, obviously if they're a bottom three team and they look as bad as like Buffalo does or whatever, that is very concerning in terms of a long-term outlook as much as I would love Shane Wright, as a, uh, you know, part of me. But um, yeah, I think if they're just kind of in that range where, you know, kind of where they finished last year, eighth last, 10th last or whatever, where they may, maybe they make a late push. Like, I think that'll maybe be looked at right now as a disappointing season, but all things considered, like, especially considering how tough, like top heavy this division is, and it's going to be hard to get points from some teams a lot of nights. Like that's kind of where I'm expecting them to be. I think they will be a little better than the Buffalo and Detroit's of the world. I think they have a long step to catch up still to uh, uh, Tampa. And even, you know, we laugh at them, but Toronto is a good regular season team, Boston, and I'll throw Florida in there. And then, um, you know, Montreal's an interesting one because it'll depend how hard they regress. But I think they're a step behind Montreal on paper right now as well. So I think they're kind of in their own middle land in that division, in this division, if that makes sense. And um, yeah, I, I don't really, I, I definitely have my concerns and even a net, you know, like, Matt Murray showed some hope last year, but I think just penciling Matt Murray in as say a nine, 12 guy is maybe not optimistic, but definitely not guaranteed to happen. That's for sure. Oh, absolutely. And I think uh, the other piece that uh, you brought up initially was, you know, on the uh, pro scouting side too, um, when it comes to not making a trade, um, 
you know, there, there's definitely a benefit to that side as well, right? Because um, the senators don't really have a strong history of making very good trades. And I know um, Pierre Dorian was just, uh, you know, extended. That's the other big piece of news that we'll, we'll get into and, and touch on. Um, but yeah, I, I think his history of scouting and drafting is pretty good. And we're starting to see the fruits of that pay off at the NHL level. But the, the trading side of things, um, I know they hired Pierre Maguire and, you know, you can make heads or tails of that in whatever way that you like. But uh, that's the, the biggest area of improvement that Pierre Dorian probably has to make, if we're being honest, as the general manager. Uh, so sometimes, yeah, if, if they're making a big splashy trade, you're almost a little bit worried of what that return's going to look like. And more importantly, what that return's going to look like in one or two years down the road. Um, so to me, I, I know, you know, Eric Brandstrom's name has come up quite a bit in terms of them sort of dangling a player out there. And he's a player that I would be really, really hesitant to trade right now. I think um, he's potentially, he's a 21 year old, potentially on the verge of a breakout season. I think again, if, if you're using underlying numbers and you're looking at that stuff, I think a lot of them will suggest that he's a, a an NHL player this year and probably a top four NHL defenseman this year. But I don't think the Senators have him penciled in the lineup. I think he has to come into camp and really, really um, make them think long and hard about taking a spot, at least to start the season. He'll obviously get some games this year uh, throughout the season if he's not moved. But uh, but what do you think about trading Eric Brandstrom, uh, perhaps? Yeah, I think my biggest problem with it is just this idea. And this is not just Ottawa. This is everyone in sports really like I think one of the hardest things as a GM is being able to understand when to cut bait and really you know you hear the common expression buy low sell high but in sports no one ever does that it's always buy high sell low and and that would be my biggest thing with the branch trade right now um you know yeah I don't know what his future outlook is I'm a little lower than some but higher than like I think he's an NHL defenseman for sure is he a really good number three who needs some sheltered minutes maybe can he be a top four guy yeah quite possibly either way I think if you know even if you've decided and this is kind of the same with Logan Brown the issue I had with him if you decide that these guys aren't long pieces of your organization I'm okay with that but you can't flip them after you've absolutely crumbled all of their value. You know, like if you decide they're not long pieces of your organization, sure, but at least put them in a space so they can succeed so that it looks like they can be a long piece of someone else's organization and you can get an actual good asset back for that instead of flipping them for a third round pick or something, right? Like, um, you know, like that's more in Logan Brown's case. I, I That's all I can kind of see or an equally struggling player, but yeah, like when it comes to Branstrom, I would not be wanting to give up on him right now. I think it's kind of the reason I don't really understand the Delzato signing. Um, may, you know, if if it was a little less and you could convince me he was absolutely going to be a seventh or eighth defender who only comes in when there's an injury or someone's tired, sure. But like I would have much rather see them run down the left of Shabbat, Branstrom, and Mete this year, or Mete, Branstrom, whatever way you want it on the second and third pair, and, and just see how that goes because you're going to get a legit view of which can these guys stay afloat? Can these guys be a long-term value? And if they're not, it's at least a good showcase for other teams to, you know, maybe go and make a trade for them. And maybe that's when the Delzato thing comes in depth, but yeah, I'm definitely more on your side where I would not be trading him in this year, unless you just get an offer that you absolutely can't refuse, but given just how they've treated him and honestly tanked his like self tanked his value. I don't think there's really anything he's done that it's more the team. I don't see why you can, how you can justify trading him right now. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I actually talked to Pierre Dorian about this when he was on our show and we got into Brandstrom in some pretty great detail. And, you know, he was going on about how he sort of dead ends himself on that right side, because in my mind, if Brandstrom is a long-term piece on this team, it would have to be a right on, on the right side. So he's either playing on the right side of Shabbat or Sanderson um, because you traded for Brandstrom as a top four guy. You didn't trade Mark Stone for a guy who could, you know, maybe play on your bottom pairing on the left side. Um, and I think, you know, Pierre Dorian went into detail about, you know, the, the parts and pieces he didn't like. And DJ Smith particularly didn't like about Brandstrom's game on the right side. And they feel like they've tried it enough to sort of, um, you know, not try it again, I guess, uh, you know, for the next couple of years, he said that you need to be sort of five years experience to 
make that switch over to the right side sometimes. And if that's the case, then I'm okay trading them too. I mean, like you said, I think, you know, if you can get value for the player, absolutely you should trade them. But to me, like, like you also said, they, they sort of devalued him a little bit. And now you're, you're in a position where if you're trading Eric Branstrom, the other teams are also like, well, I mean, do I really want a guy who dead ends himself on the wrong side of the ice? If, if I slot him on my right side, or, you know, he's also an undersized defenseman. Um, and I know the NHL is, it's so recency biased to, um, you know, they pick up on whatever happened recently. Like, you know, Tampa Bay has a, a really big decor. So now all the other teams are like, oh, we need to have a big decor to win championships. Um, so undersized guys like Branstrom get devalued a little bit on the market. So I would wait, I would be patient. I would honestly, I would give him that spot if, if I were choosing besides Zub. Um, a full year of top four minutes. Um, like you said, it, you don't have to be the most competitive this season anyway. Um, it's not imperative that you win. I, I think we want to see a step forward and wins are important and it's important to create a winning culture. Um, but at the same time, you don't, uh, you don't necessarily have to be world beaters this, this season uh, and you're not going to be in that Atlantic division anyway. So uh, in my mind, it's a good season to um, up that market for Eric Branstrom and trade him while he's high. Like you said, while there's an actual market for him, um, go, and, go and flip him for someone who's actually going to help you out, maybe in your top six, or you, know, you could find a missing piece somewhere else, maybe a right shot defenseman who offers a little bit, you know, something that you're looking for and offers something different to the table. But, uh, but yeah, the other big piece of news that we, we didn't really touch on is the Pierre Dorian thing. And I think... Uh, you know, that's a, an interesting one. We, we did sort of touch on it. Uh, in my mind, I'm happy. I think, you know, Dorian, um, certainly he's, he's built this thing up from the ground. I mean, from, from where it was at after they tore it down and it's only right that he's the guy that gets to see it through. Right. I mean, um, that's the way I look at it. Um, I, I, I also was a little bit worried when they hired Pierre Maguire. I'm not going to lie. I kind of thought, um, that with Dorian's contract expiring, I was uh, maybe jumping a little uh, ahead and, and, you know, forecasting Maguire to be the next GM. And maybe that's the case down the road, but at least for the next three years, it looks like Pierre Dorian will be the general manager of the team. So, uh, so what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of funny. We got through 35 minutes of the episode and only kind of brushed around it, obviously. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, I think that's accurate. Um, I don't, I said this on Twitter too. I don't really have a strong feeling one way or the other. I think given what he's done so far, he absolutely deserved a couple more years to, to go and through it. But I, I do think, and you know, you've touched on this already in this episode, uh, the next couple of years coming up are, are the bigger years than more, almost more than anything he's ever done. You know, um, it's, it's not that hard to tear down a team where it has a bunch of good assets and get some good assets back, you know, and we can go through his trades. He, he absolutely killed some, he absolutely did not kill others. He had some luck, but you need that when you're rebuilding too, right? So all's equal, you know, now, but he's done the easy part of the job. Tearing it down is the easy part of the job. I think as we're seeing, you know, in Arizona too, like I've given Arizona a ton of credit for what they've done this off season, but this is the fact of the matter is selling the players to get assets is easier than finding the right players to help your team get over that hump. And that's where, um, you know, yeah, so far, I don't think Pierre Dorian has necessarily done a good job. Um, obviously you touched on the, the trading aspect of it uh, earlier and um, just some of the free agent signings. I really haven't understood over the years. Uh, I think that they obviously were valuing uh, veteran leadership or whatever you want to call it um, to try and uh, supplement the younger guys. And to an, a point, I think it's fine. You know, like when they brought in Ron Hainsey and Tyler Ennis, I, that was fine. We knew the team was going to suck anyways. And yeah, it, it kind of just made it so guys didn't have to play as big of a role if then until they were ready for it. But uh, you know, once we got in the last year, you know, identifying someone as like Derek Stepan as a guy you absolutely needed to go trade for. Like, yeah, that's what I don't want to see any, even this year, you know, I thought Holden was a pretty good pickup, but is Michael Delzato really the, like Branstrom's better than Delzato and way younger. So like, and does the exact same, like, it's not like Delzato's a shutdown guy. He's an offensive guy who struggles in his own end. So it's not really, yeah. Like I, I'm a little, I don't know if it concerns the word, but definitely the next couple of years is where he's really going to have to show that, um, you know, the NHL scouting part is better than what we've seen so far and that there was a plan in place. And, and you know, these were calculated, calculated moves, even if, you know, on ice, it's not the best moves you can make. And do I think that'll happen? I'm not sure. Um, you know, he's got till 24, 25. Is this when this contract runs through? Uh, 
if I, I will say, I, I think if the Sens fail to make the playoffs this year, which I don't project them to make the playoffs this year, if they fail to make the playoffs next year, which again, isn't outside the realm of possibility, but they better be like right around in that kind of bubble area. Right. If they miss for in three years from now, I don't think he's seeing the end of this contract, which I guess would be 20. It'd be the last year. I think he'd be fired for it anyways, but they definitely are going to need to make the playoffs in the next two or three years, I think. Um, and you know, that a lot of that is going to fall on how he adds pieces to this team. Because again, I, I don't think you can go every summer saying we're going to add a big addition and have nothing come of it. Um, eventually that will get frustrating with the fan base, but also a very, uh, an owner that is a lot harder to deal with, you know, than 95% of owners across of pro sports. Right. So, um, yeah, I think overall, when I saw that extension today, I wasn't shocked. I'm happy that it came now. So we don't have to worry about, um, you know, is Pierre Maguire the next GM of the Sens for the next, you know, 12 months or whatever. And I think it's going to be less of a distraction on the team, which is a good thing. So um, yeah, I don't feel too passionately one way or the other. I wasn't shocked. I think Dorian's done some good, some bad. And given the constraints he's had, I think it's hard to really, really put a fair image on what, you know, he has been as a GM. You know, uh, I can't imagine working with Eugene Melnick as your boss is an easy task by any means. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. You hit on a lot of, a lot of points that, uh, that I wanted to bring up as well. And I think, um, you know, like you said, it, it's about adding the right complement to your core. And I think we kind of know who the young core is going to be now moving forward. Um, but, you know, if we're being honest, they're probably at least a player shy, you know, a, an elite player shy of being true contenders. And I think, you know, that's where the the interest in Jack Eichel, because he's the biggest name out there, you know, comes in the Sens fan, fan base right now. But you know, in my opinion, it's it's way too premature to make a big splashy trade like that anyway. Um, but it's fun to speculate. Um, so, you know, it, it is a fun thing to speculate. And that is a player that honestly, he's still young. He's a he's a 24 year old player. And, you know, if everything works out with the the injury and, you know, getting that healed up in, in a way that's never been done before, whatever, you know, the media perception is, I, I'm sure he's quite confident that he's going to be uh, an elite center when he comes back in the NHL and, and that injury stuff is just going to be history. But, uh, but it's, it's interesting um, in a way because, you know, Eichel 24 years old, he could potentially fit in this core. Um, I, I put a hypothetical package together for Eichel, um, which, and again, if I'm being honest, and if you're a Buffalo fan, you're not going to be happy when you read the names in that package. And, um, and I don't think it's going to work out to where Sabres fans are genuinely happy with what they receive, at least at first. But as we know, things can can play out much differently. I mean, we were not pleased with the Carlson return uh, immediately. And, you know, now we have Timmy Stutzla and, and Josh Norris <laughs> uh, among other players. So um, for Buffalo, it, it probably is accepting a package that isn't exactly what you're hoping to get right now for Buffalo fans. Um, but down the road, it can pay dividends to your team. And um, uh, just to, to give uh, the listeners an idea, I put a hypothetical, you know, sends offer package together, uh, including Shane Pinto, Eric Branstrom, Colin White, and a first round pick. And to me, the biggest piece of that is the first round pick. If you leave it unprotected in 2022, um, so next next year, you've got Shane Wright in that draft, like you mentioned. Um, it's not out of the realm of possibility that Ottawa finishes in the lottery, especially if you're dealing, you know, Shane Pinto and Colin White, you're already thin up front. Um, Eichel wouldn't probably join the team until, you know, down the road, probably January or February, whenever he heals from the injury. So you're probably looking at a, a really poor season from the Senators. So that would be, if I was trying to sell it to Kevin Adams, that's what I would lead with. Um, you know, obviously we know how good Shane Pinto is. Not a lot of fan bases know how good Shane Pinto is yet. So, um, so I could see why they would be upset, but uh, would you have a, a hypothetical offer for Jack Eichel or do you think it's even a fit for the senators? Yeah, I, I think, I, I think that is probably too low. I, I do agree that I think Buffalo is going to be disappointed. Um, as it all, it's so hard to actually win a, a trade when you're trading a star player away, even more so than, you know, obviously you look and, you know, that Carlson deal looks better by the day, but uh, the difference is Carlson was four years older and a massive ankle injury. 
all things considered, yeah, then obviously no neck injury is completely safe. But but from what it sounds like is that this is a better long-term healing thing. It's just the reason it's never been done on an athlete is because it takes longer to come back from. And that's why I, I'd be curious too, because the other thing is, and, and now maybe it, with a contract extension, Dorian would be more willing to do it. But if Dorian trades away another pick that is in a lottery and that happens for the third second time and four years, I guess. Like, I think he would be taking a lot of heat from uh, definitely the fan base, but maybe ownership as well, even if it does land a Jack Eichel type player, right? Because, you know, you never want to be that team that gives up a first overall pick, especially in a draft where Shane Wright's supposed to be unbelievable. And I believe there's a couple other really high-end talents at the top of this draft. But um, yeah, like, I just, I think that any deal for Eichel, because he's 24 years old and at the end of the day, Buffalo Yes, it's going to be better for them to move him, but they have him under contract for five more years. They don't have to move him. You know, I think it's better for everyone if they do, but if the offers are just absolutely not worth it for them, they might just sit back and say, yeah, no, Eichel, you can just rehab with us. Uh, we're going to suck this year anyway. So we'll take your 10 million dead cap. And um, yeah, you know, like teams can come back next year with a better offer. But I, I think this year, I, I do think a deal will get done, but I just, I find it so hard to believe that even with the, the prospects of maybe a higher first round pick. I just think it's going to take a Sanderson type player, you know, like, um, and I think, you know, I think Buffalo's ass probably either starts with Stutzler or Kachuk. And both of those guys are definitely, I think, clearly off limits for the senators and fairly so because you know we, we mentioned needing that high-end player i still think stutzla might be able to guy who develops into that high-end elite player you know again not a given but um yeah i think it starts with something closer to sanderson um you know the first and then uh, you know i was trying to do it go with the carlson trade i think sanderson would be a better prospect than uh anyone they really got in obviously in, in that trade just off the bat but you know you got the first round pick um and then probably a, a lesser prospect in terms of uh balsers and norris and you know maybe i equated that to say a, a logan brown type probably and then you know, I, I, re, I guess Norris was a recent first round pick. So someone threw in like a, a Ridley Gregg or something like that. And then, you know, throwing a couple of roster players there, whether that's Colin White's contract or, you know, Chris Tierney to get it off the books for a year or whatever, like that, that's not much value, but it'd be flippable for Buffalo. But yeah, I think if Ottawa wanted to trade for an Eichel player, it's unfortunately going to take a big piece like Sanderson, because, you know, you look at the other teams competing um, the, the two biggest names that it sounds like he wants to go to are LA and New York. And oh, those guys aren't short on prospects either. Uh, New York's got, you know, Caco that they could move. Uh, obviously, LA's got Byfield. I don't think they'd be willing to part with him, but they have three or four other really, really strong uh, prospects that they could move uh, in a deal for Eichel. So yeah, I think it's it's definitely a lot of fun to speculate, but um, and I do agree where I, I think they need that that one more piece, especially if they want to come over the edge in a couple of years. But um, if it's Eichel, I don't know. But at the same time, I think there's something to be said about you know keeping assets. And um, the other thing is why you know when people say get mad that Ottawa stockpiled so many picks and prospects, uh, who knows when guys are going to come available? You know, like the, the prime example to me is Ryan O'Reilly with the St. Louis Blues a couple of years ago, like let's say Ottawa in two or three years from now needs that one more piece still. They, they have Norris. He's a good one C, but they need that guy to play either just in front of them or just behind them. I don't know who that player is obviously in three or four years, but maybe someone like that comes available. And if you stockpiled a bunch of picks that you just kept, you know, overlying, you can make a deal for that. And so I, I don't think it's necessarily something they need to do this summer, but it's obviously always fun to speculate. Yeah, I'm right with you. I think they're, eventually will come at a time where they're on the other end of one of those, you know, quantity for quality sort of trades. Um, so there will be a time like we talked about when you have to complement your roster um, and it's impossible to know who that player is going to be. Um, but in my opinion, yeah, it's, it's too early. And that's why I didn't go all in, you know, when I hypothetically made a Jack Eichel sort of trade offer, it wasn't, it wasn't a trade offer that's going to get you Jack Eichel. It was a trade offer that, you know, perhaps leads to a conversation, you know, if I was in that GM position, it would be like, a, you know, this is a conversation starter. And if you want to add, you know, a couple of B prospects to that, I, I would listen. But uh, aside from that, I, I don't think Ottawa is going to be a big player for Jack Eichel. I think, you know, the speculation, it, it kind of went wild this summer because there was nothing really to talk about. Um, the biggest piece that we had coming in was was Michael Delzato. So uh, so it was just a quiet summer. Um, like we talked about at the, the start of the show, not really a bad thing 
in terms of the development. It's not about this season. It's about the seasons that follow. Um, it, it's funny though, going back to um, that huge press conference and, you know, Eugene Melnick's famous unparalleled success quote, you know, technically he should be spending to the cap in uh, on this season, actually starting this season, 21, 22, this would be the first year of four to five years of unparalleled success. So it's the first year of unparalleled success. And it's funny because I think the senators got extremely lucky to be where they are in terms of the development of their players and the complete teardown rebuild that they did. I mean, they got super lucky with the Carlson trade. Like we talked about, you know, Stutzla and Norris, that's two huge pieces um, of the puzzle right there from one trade. So they got extremely lucky and their timeline is still completely off of, you know, that blueprint, um, you know, build a Stanley cup contender that uh, Melnick, you know, came public about. So I think the guy just has to stop talking to be honest to, to the media. It, yes. it would make things a lot easier for us. Um, and we wouldn't get laughed at as much, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, and he's done a better job of that over the past year. It feels like, like there's been a lot less often he's gone on Toronto radio and said some stupid shit. So, Oh, absolutely. There was the the yacht thing, which I I just found funny. Um, and the other thing, oh, the the Brady thing when he was on Bob McGowan's uh, podcast yeah. as well with the with the bridge contract. But aside from that, yeah, he's kind of gone quiet a little bit. Um, and you know, I'm glad that they, in one way, I'm glad they have someone like Pierre Maguire who can do a little bit more of the the PR work um, and be a little bit more of the face of the franchise. And, you know, people have varying opinions of Pierre Maguire, but he's, he, he has lots of energy. Um, that's for sure. And he doesn't necessarily say anything sort of outlandish. He'll always say, um, the most conventional, like sometimes I call them like captain obvious because he would literally just say what everyone else was already thinking. It, it wasn't, you know, anything super far-fetched. So to me, that's kind of the person that they need sort of leading things, uh, from a PR perspective. Yeah, I think the one thing with Pierre Maguire is, A, he's a great uh, tire booster. You know, he'll make you feel good about yourself. That's for sure. But <laughs> yeah, and I think that almost is kind of what this organization needs from a public face anyways, because I think the best headline I read from him when he did his TSN Ottawa hits would be the one was like, to win more games, Ottawa needs to score more goals. It's like, well... <laughs> That is, you know, the, the objective of the game, generally speaking. Yes. But and I think that's just kind of the perfect way to sum it up where it's, you'll say, he'll say a lot and not really give you anything. And I will much rather take that than Melnick who says a lot and gives you way, 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 way too much to talk about. Right. So, um, you know, the, the only other move, small move that happened since I last recorded uh, was a goalie signing. And that would be uh, Gustafson re-signed a two-year deal um, much like the, the Hoberg one that we saw a couple of years ago, where the first year is a two-way deal. So he'll be uh, two-way uh, this year. Um, and then next year, it will be a one-year, one-way deal, which basically signifies, I think, this year that, you know, he might move in between the minors and majors. But uh, next year, Anton Forsberg is definitely being moved out and it'll be his role, at least as one of those two spots in the NHL. Um, I'll get your opinion on this too. I really love this deal. Um, I, I love this style of deal as well. I think the, um, the longer you can keep a guy on a two-way deal, sure. Like go for it. I don't have any issue with that. Um, obviously, excuse me, sorry, uh, super cheap AAV. Um, you know, I think it's 800 grand or something like that. And I think that the, the pay rises next year as he's supposed to be an NHL goalie, but pretty cheap either way. And, um, yeah, like I, I think it gives them plenty of options this year. If they want to move and, and use them this year, uh, they can. But next year, it guarantees him a spot, which I think is good for both ways. Like, I think he, you know, is on his way to proving that he deserves to be at least one of the two goalies, even if it, that is the backup to start. And um, yeah, like I, I thought this was a really tidy piece of business. I don't know about you. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think, uh, you know, just speaking about the player first, I think Gustafson, coming into last season was a bit of an afterthought, to be honest. Uh, you know, he kind of fell behind Decord, um, fell behind, maybe even Sogard. Some people penciled in ahead of Gus and he was starting to fall behind after, you know, he was such a, a big prospect uh, that uh, the senators were able to acquire for Brassard. And I think uh, last season he went out uh, to Europe to start the year during the pandemic and just found a bit of confidence and, um, just got back to his game. And then he translated that to the NHL, I think seamlessly 
uh, when he was between the pipes for Ottawa this season, he was phenomenal. I mean, his numbers were, were sparkling. I know it's a, it's an extremely small sample, so we have to be a little bit weary of that. And, um, but, but yeah, I really liked his, I, I just like his, his calm demeanor in the net. I think, um, he doesn't overcommit on his angles or anything like that. He, he has some, some really good movement, um, you know, kind of similar to, to Carey Price. And I'm not going to compare him to Carey Price in any way, uh, just yet. Cause that's premature, but, uh, just in that calm demeanor, sort of, I, I think he had a calming influence on the team. And I think they really liked having Gus between the pipes. And as you mentioned that, uh, that two-way contract, uh, this season, he'll, he'll man the crease in Belleville and, and get the primary minutes, in Belleville this season, which I think is expected because they extended Forsberg and next season, uh, much like the Decord contract, uh, he's moving to Seattle now, unfortunately, but you know, much like uh, that contract on the second part of that uh, deal is a one-way contract in which, you know, you would expect Gustafson to be either backing up Murray or if Murray completely, you know, craps the bed this season, uh, maybe even being the starter in Ottawa as early as next season. So I think there's a lot of promise and a lot of hope there for Philip Gustafson now, and he's completely sort of rewrote his career. So uh, that career path is looking much better now for Gus. And I think uh, he looks like an exciting, an exciting young goaltender. And I'm a horrible, uh, I'll be honest, like horrible scout when it comes to goalies. I, I really just think they're voodoo and I have absolutely no idea, you know, what they're going to become. But uh, I will say that just having watched the senators games with Gus in their last season, it, it gave me, a lot of confidence when the opposing team was coming down on a rush, you know, even a, an odd man rush that Gustafson would be able to get across and, and make a big save when he needed to. And uh, I think that just speaks volumes as to, uh, to what his ceiling could be. Yeah. And um, you know, I'm not a goalie guru by any means either, but it has been one thing I've tried to focus on, you know, when I'm watching the games, trying to identify that more because it is. And I mean, at the end of the day, goalies are voodoo because even the calmest looking player like Harry Price posted like an, a 905 or whatever it was again this year. Like, you know, it's not like his stats have been off the chart in the regular season anyways, but yeah, I definitely like the way Gustafson plays. He's way more calmer in the net where, um, you know, Murray is kind of all over the place and, you know, he's really uh, reacting with the glove where it feels like, you know, someone like Gustafson being more proactive and trying to find the puck. And I thought that was kind of Hoberg's problem too. He moved around too often and, and that really threw him off angle at times. We saw it a couple of times really badly last year. Um, but yeah, I think this is a, a solid uh, play. I think he'll start probably in Belleville and um, you know, who knows? Like we saw how many injuries there were with goalies last year, maybe halfway through the year team comes and says, we'll give you a fourth for Forsberg and you flip Forsberg because why not? You picked him up off waivers and Gustafson spends the end of this year as you know, that, you know, second guy in Ottawa anyways. And then, you know, that'll obviously open up down because I have a bit of a, a mess in the crease, obviously, which is never a bad thing having too many prospects, but um, yeah, there, there's lots of options. And that's what I love about a contract like this, where um, when it's pretty clear that the, at worst, if, you know, if you need him in the NHL, he can be in the NHL. There's absolutely no harm in being like, all right, we're going to guarantee you have a spot here in two years, but you know, for this year, do us a favor and, you know, we'll, we'll give you the favor back in the future. And, you know, I, to a degree, you got to be careful with that. But I think on a, on a bet like this with a, a young goaltender with lots of promise. Yeah. I, I'm totally okay with them making this move. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like you said, if Gus doesn't work out, I mean, their prospect pipeline for goaltenders, it's, uh, it's a good one. I mean, they've got some depth there now with, uh, with Sogard, he was super impressive, equally impressive to what Gus was able to do uh, in the NHL. I think Sogard, came in and again, really small sample, but just having watched the Belleville games, I mean, that guy's an absolute giant. I mean, he's hard to score on. He takes up the entire net. He's down on his knees and his head's still over the crossbar. I mean, that guy is massive. Um, and then you've got Levi Marilinen, who's, you know, just, he was the the mystery pick for the senators that uh, no one knew about this kid. And, and they seen something they liked in him and, you know, lo and behold, uh, he looks like he's going to be the starter for the world juniors and he's going to be uh, another prospect to keep an eye on uh, just coming down the road here. So they have some, uh, some good goaltending prospects. I truthfully, I was sold that they were going to add a, a goaltender at the draft this year uh, with that top 10 pick. I genuinely thought uh, it was going to be uh, Sebastian Cosa, but uh, obviously they went in a different direction there with, uh, with Tyler Boucher, but, uh, but yeah, uh, I don't. With, Decord out of the picture and and I was a big Decord supporter and really liked what he did in Ottawa but uh with him out of the picture I think with uh, Gus and Sogard and Levi 
I, I think there's uh, there's a lot of promise uh, between the pipes in the future for Ottawa, even if uh, you know Matt Murray doesn't work out. So, absolutely, I think it's perfectly said. There's a lot of excitement, and I, I expect that excitement to grow as we head into training camp here. Uh, Derek, thank you so much for joining me today, man. Uh, plug some stuff. Where can people find you and your work? Uh, yeah, so uh, Future Sickos Podcast. Uh, you could follow us at Future Sickos Podcast on Twitter. Uh, and myself, I'm at DLee075 on Twitter. And, and that's all I've got going right now. I, I'm doing a little bit of writing uh, for 613 Sports as well. And, uh, and that's about it. Yeah, I can't recommend that stuff enough. The podcast was awesome. Really love the Pure Dorian episode. And, and uh, obviously a great Twitter follow. Uh, so inspirational as well. Uh, with, you know, Jada's journey. Um, it's been, you know, awesome seeing that story develop as well. So um, all the best to you, Derek. I'll have to have you down down the road uh, when we have more to talk about as the, as the season gets going here. Pleasure, Alex. Take care.